Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Real Life Real Crime Daily for Wednesday, May 24th, and I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Mike Agavino. We are woodless this morning. There's a rumor that a call came from Hollywood and a race to the airport. We are without the woodman this morning, but we are going forward strong. Jim, did I tell you that we have a new sponsor that's going to be coming on board? Uh, tell, Do tell, Michael. Well, uh... We have a new opportunity with Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone. I'm familiar with the Rosetta Stone system. And yes. So I thought it would be cute to try and do something funny and, and pull a little trick on Woody. So my first thing with Rosetta Stone is they, you know, they allow one of the, uh, of the hosts to participate in the program and uh, and learn the system and how it works. And so I registered Woody, and the language I wanted him to be taught was English. <laughs> <laughs> and so, unfortunately, I didn't realize that the email of record they had was mine. And so all of a sudden, I started getting these inquiries from Rosetta Stone on when I was going to start my English lessons. Right. And so I have... Um, uh, I have changed that, and I am taking Italian lessons so that oh. I can be ready for uh, uh, for my trip home in a in a couple months to see uh, to see mom. So I've got I've got one for you. I'm ready, and I want to see if you can decipher what this is. Jim e una macchina del sesso. Jim uh, is number one in our hearts. Yes, but that's not the answer. The answer <laughs> is Jim is a sex machine. Oh, absolutely. Would be the I need to learn to, that one. To Woody odora le storie su reali britannici. At Woody something. Woody loves stories about British royalty. <laughs> <laughs> More Italian to come, folks. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very working good. on it. Was very sad over the weekend to see Jim Brown pass away. Yeah, that was horrible. Um, but, you know, he lived a long life, 87. He did. I did not realize he was that old. And uh, because, God, he still looked like he could kick the crap oh, out yeah. of you at age 85. I mean, he was just this uh, intimidating figure of uh, uh, of a man. I mean, maybe the original tough guy. Mm. He, uh, um, at the... You know, during his prime, during his time, he was you know the greatest player in the NFL. At the same time, he was the greatest lacrosse player on the planet. Um, you know, he left on his own terms, went to Hollywood. Uh, you know, his reputation was tarnished by some scandals and some rumors of of him mistreating uh, multiple women. Although he was never charged with a crime by uh, by any of them, but you know, he was. Um, uh, he was anything but uh, a victim. He was a hero to 
uh, to many, and he was a hero to a, a guy I got to know well in L.A. by the name of Bone Sloan, who he took under his wing after uh, Bone, who was in Athens Park uh, uh, blood. He was a gang member who, following the Rodney King riots, was invited on to Nightline with Ted Koppel and to do a 45-minute interview. And uh, that interview turned into him co-hosting Nightline all week. And then Koppel, who was a Syracuse uh, alum, as well as Jim Brown, asked Jim Brown to take Bone under his wing. And Bone is now the guy in Hollywood where if you want to shoot on location in a gang area, you have to go through Bone. And Bone goes into the neighborhood and he works it out with whoever the gang members are in the neighborhood. You know, they're going to handle food. They're going to handle security. They're going to handle everything you need during the filming. So you're bringing a bunch of money to the gang neighborhood. And that business was really developed, um, you know, through his association with, uh, with Jim Brown. So rest, uh, rest in peace, Jim Brown. Yeah. So I don't know what y'all did on Friday, but I watched Dateline and I watched Dateline. The special that they did on Brian Koberger, who we've talked about on this show several times. We did actually our own little special. Whack uh, job. What a whack job. Oh, man. No no doubt about it. Uh, the title of the series was The Killing on King Road. It was, you know, it was Dateline and very highly produced, very well done. But we learned some things from this episode, some bombshells, if you will. Uh, some of them you may have known if you, if you looked at, you know, you were really in depth into this case, but we're going to give you a few of those now, uh, that I picked up while I was taking notes because I'm one of those people. I'm kind of a serial killer nerd. in front of the TV taking yes, notes on Friday night. Absolutely. Hopefully you, had a, you had a cocktail on the other hand, but, um, <laughs> I know there were several things that were released yeah. on that episode that were that came out for the first time ever. So no matter how closely you're following it, there uh, was some new information. 100%. And it, what we got confirmation on, one of the things that was suspected by many people, but we never really had true confirmation, was uh, where Koberger entered the home and where he started his killings first. Most people figured it was the third floor. Uh, in this episode, police did say and confirmed that the suspect entered on the second floor, made his way to the third floor, killed both of the young ladies on the third floor, then went to the second floor, killed the young man and woman on the second floor, and exited out of the second floor. Now, this to me, um, in where I've kind of struggled with what the police suspect happened uh, is they're looking at this as a targeted thing, and it very well could have been. They 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 believe he was targeting one of the ladies on the third floor. My personal thought is, regardless of who was on that third floor, he was going to start on that third floor because he was educated. Uh, it may have been you know totally crazy, but he was educated. And if you're going to kill a bunch of people. You're going to start at the top and work your way down. You're not going to backtrack. So you're not going to kill people on the second floor, go to the third floor, and then go back down to the second floor to get out. If you think about it ahead of time, you premeditate it, you're going to start at the top and work your way down. To me, it could have been a situation where that that's exactly what he was doing. 
Um, but that was something that we had no confirmation on until that episode. Also on that episode, someone had posted under a fake Reddit account about the killings and said, if police knew it was a fixed blade, the killer must have left a sheath behind. Now, police think that was Koberger, and they believe that his ego was such that this was a way in which he was kind of letting the police know that he knew he left his sheath behind. The reason that 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 is such a big deal is at the point of time in which that was posted on that Reddit, the police had not released that a sheath had been found. So the only one that would have known that would have been the killer. All of that being said, if you look back at the evidence they released, it's exactly right. If they're saying we're looking for a fixed blade knife, uh, primarily they're going to know that because they know a sheath was left behind. And and if you really sit and think about it, someone could have just been taking a wild guess. Uh, but there's that. Um, thirdly, Koberger's family. Let's talk about them for a second, Mike. That's the, That was the biggie for me. Yeah, so his sister was actually in uh, – she wasn't in criminology, but she did something with criminal justice. And she was kind of suspicious of her brother. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, interesting little s- side note here that they confirmed. His sister actually called him out. Kind of Imagine this. In front of his family, she turns around, and I don't know if they were at the dinner table, but in this story – It sounded like be, it was that kind yeah. of context. She basically looks at her brother and she says, so there was a murderer, you know, in your neck of the woods over there at college, and he drives a white Elantra and you drive a white Elantra. And she was kind of putting all these uh, putting all these dots together, if you will. One of the strange things that we learned about Koberger is that he wore latex glove even around his family after that incident. Yeah. So... (laughs) She calls him out, right, to his face. How about she, that? I, look, I, when you think about the totality of what went on with his family, his father flying out to drive back from school with him, them taking this indirect route. So the route home to Pennsylvania. Yes, five hours took, out of the way. Extended it by five hours. The They showed the video of uh, – and. Everyone, I think, when we did see these videos uh, in the news over the last few months, thought that the state troopers in Indiana were in contact with the FBI, and these were orchestrated pullovers, uh, but Dateline uh, confirmed that they weren't, that these were completely independent the two times that he was uh, – that they were uh, – uh, that they were pulled over, and you could see how uneasy he was, how intense he was. Yeah, when the when the cops pulled him over in Indiana, which they were making, uh, they they were just making different uh, random stops, yeah. looking for people that uh, if you were following too closely or driving erratically, looking for drugs and right, and, stuff and like that. they so. they actually said that they are trained to look at the habits of drivers. And for example, if you change lanes every time a cop pulls behind you, well, to a, to a police officer, that's going to be suspicious. Uh, and so that's someone they're going to kind of hone in on that. Maybe we need to pull this guy over and see if he's got a little drugs in here. But if your dad, yeah, dad seemed cool. If, if your dad, you're not, 
you're not going to go for the five hour extended uh, drive no. on a you know coast to coast drive. And so, what's Dad thinking when Son says let's take this route instead of the normal one? I don't believe it was any more scenic than the uh, than the other one. So it, it it felt like his family. Now maybe they they didn't want to believe it, but that uh, that knowing how effed up he was and his behavior from the point he got home, they, uh, you know, they, they pieced it together and, and, and figured it out. And the, the story about him being in the kitchen with his latex gloves, zipping, uh, you know, he was basically taking anything of his that might've contained DNA and, uh, and discarding it separately. So the, the DNA they actually used or the match with him was his father's mm-hmm. that they had gotten out of the right. out of the trash, and they were able to connect that that DNA had to be the parent of uh, the DNA they had gotten off the sheath in uh, in, in Moscow. So it uh, you know the the behavior of the family was really the thing that uh, uh, that stuck out, and uh, um, you know this, uh, and then yesterday the um, his arraignment. Which separate from Dateline, but that was just I, yeah. I he didn't I, put in a plea. So in a situation like that, what's important to mention is in something I you know unless you knew you you didn't know was if you're not obligated to enter a plea uh, at an arraignment, but if you don't, the judge it has full uh, authority to enter a plea for you. So the Koberger refused to enter a plea. So the judge said, okay, we're going to plead you not guilty. And, um, well, I don't, how could a judge, a judge couldn't plead him guilty, could they? Why not? <laughs> I don't, I mean, I don't know how they could do to that. To me, if you I, don't, I don't enter a plea, I'm going to plead you guilty. But, <laughs> you know, and I don't, I don't either. So uh, any of our attorney, People out there that are listening, let's let's enlighten. Yeah, I'm sure more, more will come out about that over the, over the next few days. But last uh, thing on that, um, and uh, so this does not surprise me because if if you followed our Murdoch stuff, you know this is common. But Coburger is getting a lot of love letters in prison. Oh God, yes. Tiffany, would you still send Coburger a love letter? Absolutely not. <laughs> well, you would be in the minority because he's getting thousands. Well, no, so. you would not be in the minority. It, it, this is a minority, a very small minority of women who are crazy enough to they be doing this. Him. But uh, I, I mean, they want someone at Coburger. Do love. not understand that. And you know, there was the weird story about uh, the girl that he befriended, who mm. uh, who's security system he installed yeah and that he was likely watching her through, i mean yeah I, he had her passwords at that point I, I can't imagine that they haven't released her name or anything but i can't imagine how that person feels now knowing yeah. how close she was to that guy and how much access he had to her and what he could have done if he was predisposed to have done it 100 so. percent. so that's your coburger i guess your coburger update uh, as this as this trial or court procedure ramps up, you know, and we'll be I'm sure bringing you more. 
Yeah, and and with the way they handled that thing yesterday, I, I mean, it just it, as you know, crazy as this guy is, I sort of expect craziness. I sort of expect that there'll be some out of the ordinary twists to this thing. We'll uh, we shall see. We shall. I want to take you guys back to a crime that occurred in New Orleans last year and uh, and what is going on in the in the courts with it uh, right now. This case got a lot of uh, national exposure back when it happened. And it involved four teenagers who are accused in a brutal carjacking uh, that caused the death of a woman by the name of Linda Fricky. This happened last May 19th. The case has garnered national attention, as I said, drawing attorneys and family members from both sides to pack a courtroom for this pretrial conference that happened the other day. Uh, Fricky is, uh, was 72. She was carjacked by four people who attacked her as she sat in her car um, down in the French Quarter. Okay, And this is about 1.30 in the afternoon on March 21st, 2022. I'm sorry, I said May Earlier, uh, that was the uh, that was the court date, which was just held on Friday, May nineteenth. The actual uh, incident was March twenty first of last year. Fricky's arm got entangled in the seatbelt as they were trying to throw her out of the vehicle, and she was dragged all the way down Bienville until, believe it or not, her arm was completely severed. So she fell to the street at that point and bled out on the street and died right there. I mean, this was brutal. Um, Fricky's sister-in-law, a woman by the name of Kathy Richard, said, I just think that the horrible nature of it really opened a lot of eyes across the country. The four teenagers who were charged, uh, their names were later released, John Honoré, Bernia Baker, Markel Curtis and Lanira Theophil are facing charges as adults for their alleged involvement in the fatal carjacking. Again, this is uh, uh, now Fricky's sister, Jenny Lynn Griffin, saying they had the audacity to beat her and then pull away as she's hooked to the car. In court, the Orleans Parish DA filed a motion to exclude expert testimony regarding the mental state of the juvenile defendants. Prosecutors argued that since the suspects have already pleaded not guilty, they should not be allowed to present an insanity defense. So what is happening now is uh, the defense is looking to present a, uh, an insanity defense. They are arguing that they want experts to testify about the relationship between juvenile brain development and criminal behavior. Mm. Um, uh, Richard said, it didn't just develop that day. There was no record of them being mentally deficient prior. Um, and uh, and so the uh, a lot of people are, are surprised and, and angry about uh, the defense now trying to come to the table with uh, some kind of insanity plea and trying to bring in these experts to testify about juvenile brain development. Uh, people were running to the car, telling them to stop. You're dragging someone. The door was open. He knew she was hooked on that car. The Theophil, 
who was deemed incompetent to stand trial remains in a mental facility. So one of the four was deemed incompetent to stand trial. The judge on Friday said the hospital has requested she be transferred back to the Juvenile Justice Intervention Center. A doctor is, is expected to reevaluate her next week. So next week she will have a competency hearing and could end up standing trial with her co-defendant. So one of the four has, uh, uh, has already been uh, put in a mental facility and the defense is arguing for uh, this expert to testify about uh, juvenile brain development and criminal behavior for the other three. I mean, uh, really, really sad case, and it we is, shall and, see what happens from there. And I'll say that, look, the insanity defense about the hardest thing in the world you can ever pull off because you ha- you can't premeditate and you can't make an effort to cover up and get an insanity plea. Uh, the court will automatically find you not insane if you commit a crime and then you try to cover it up because that shows you know you knew it was wrong exactly same thing with premeditation so uh very important i don't i I think there's no chance in hell they're going to get an insanity uh uh judgment here in this case on the other other three for sure i I, this the 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 one other one who's already been in a mental facility we'll see The world has become a smaller place, and people are traveling more freely between countries than ever before. And companies are doing more business outside of their home countries than ever before. The geniuses at Rosetta Stone saw this trend beginning to develop years ago and have dedicated decades toward researching and refining the best and most efficient way to teach someone a new language. Rosetta Stone has been one of our most loyal sponsors here at Real Life, Real Crime, and The Daily Show. And that's because many of you out there have trusted Rosetta Stone to prepare you for everything from a family reunion to a once-in-a-lifetime trip to a business trip in a faraway country. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program in the galaxy. Rosetta Stone's been there for us with a great product at a great price. Rosetta Stone is a trusted expert in language learning for 30 years with millions of users. Rosetta Stone's intuitive process helps you pick up a new language naturally so you retain what you learn, and their true accent speech recognition feature is like having a personal trainer. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Real Life Real Crime and The Daily Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Au revoir. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at bet mgm 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, uh, Want to talk about a story we covered last week, which was the story of this heroic teenager in Michigan who used his slingshot to shoot this guy uh, who was trying to abduct his younger sister. We, at the time, talked about uh, him as being our, our new hero taking over for the I think it was another Michigan kid mm-hmm. who had uh, who had stopped the bus and uh, and saved his uh, classmates the week before that. And so uh, our young hero now has a name. His name is Owen Burns. And he said he was playing video games uh, when all of this uh, was going down. So he, he was at home with his sister, uh, just the two of them. His parents were out. She was outside mushroom hunting in the backyard, which I guess is a thing up in Alpena, Michigan. At first, he said he thought nothing of it um, when he heard her uh, scream, but then he heard her scream a second time, and he was uh, he was like, what's going on? I have to take a look. And so he, he got up and, uh, and went to a window, and when he did, he witnessed the suspect who's uh, identified by police as a 17-year-old uh, male, he saw that person trying to abduct uh, her sister. his sister. Her mouth was closed. He was hugging her um, uh, at chest level, and she was able to kick him uh, just as uh, Owen went to the, uh, uh, to the window, and she broke free for a moment, and he moved lightning fast, I guess, grabbed his slingshot, got a marble and a rock. So he scrambled to get whatever he could. And then he shot the guy three times uh, (laughs) in the head and the chest. Um, And this was enough for that guy to run off into uh, the woods. And as we know, the uh, Michigan state police were able to catch up with that guy um, uh, later on. And, uh, and uh, you know, this guy is a, uh, is a hero, a great shot with a slingshot. Luckily, he was paying attention to his sister, at least listening while uh, while he was playing his video games. In my house, a I mean, a truck could crash into the house while my Period. sons are playing video games, and right. and neither of them would uh, uh, would bother to get up or or hear a darn thing. So he went on uh, uh, he went on Good Morning America and uh, was very humble about things, but. Uh, uh, you know, um, took the credit and his dad said, uh, once it all set in, it kind of hit pretty hard because it could have been a whole lot different outcome and talked about how proud, obviously, he was of he is of his son. So, Owen Burns, you are our hero. Very good job, Owen. Awesome. Now, let's talk about a more important subject. Pythons. Oh, no. <laughs> Jim is the resident uh, snake man. Yes. The man who Mike had a pet python snake as a weapon. Now, this is in Canada, and we got some fans in Canada. So, not uh, the natural habitat for a python. No, no. In Toronto, you know, they're known for blue jays, right? Raptors. Raptors. <laughs> there you go. So, let me tell you, let me tell you all this story. It's just absolutely unbelievable. 
Uh, over the years, obviously, there's been a lot of brawls that you can see on TikTok and uh, Facebook and all that, and they'll go viral. But they've had one go viral that you may not have ever seen. This video shows a man using a python to whip his victim. How, how big is the python? It, the guy's almost across the street, and he's hitting him with it. You know, the video just really blows you away. What happens? Him and the guy start fighting. Uh, he starts wielding a snake at this guy. The guy is obviously freaked out. Uh, the police pull up within 30 seconds of him swinging this snake at this guy. Uh, and they basically get out of the car and they say, you know, get on the ground. And the guy complies. Uh, now, the guy using the snake was arrested for it. And it turns out he was go- he was going around threatening people with the animal prior to this fight even happening. So it's not like he had the snake and this guy was trying to mug him and he just turned around with the snake and started swinging at the guy. He was, he was causing trouble prior to that 45 year old Lorenio Avila was charged with assault with a weapon for that snake. So if you're wondering, became a weapon, the snake became a weapon. Uh, It turns out he's in trouble for his choice of weapon too. Because they charged him with also causing unnecessary pain or suffering to an animal. So they tacked one on with this guy. But the video is absolutely mind-blowing. We're going to make sure we uh, we post that for yeah, you on Facebook. That, look forward to you have that. to see it. So, yes, yeah, snakes can be used as weapons. I've got all these issues with snakes we've lost on the show the last time. I'm still wondering where Bartholomew is. Right. Who the... That was the boa the woman tried to bring onto the plane yeah. as her uh, emotionally, what do you call it? Uh, emotional support. Uh, her emotional support Animal. snake, yeah. Yeah. Um, so maybe this python, with all he's been through, can become someone's. Well, we'll keep you posted if we hear anything else on on the. Emotional support. You know, we should name python. that python. He's going to need his own emotional support human for what he's been put That's through. That's right. But on Friday, Nicholas Kosotis, age 40, was arrested in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, in connection with the death of Mindy Mabane Kosotis, age 40, according to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Nicholas, who also goes by the name Nicholas Killian Stark, is a former JAG Corps officer for the U.S. Navy. Mindy was a writer and business owner who earned a master's degree in public and international affairs at Virginia Tech. Nicholas is charged with malice murder, felony murder, aggravated assault, tampering with evidence, and removal of body parts from scene of death or dismemberment, according Mm. to GBI. Again, they just think about the backgrounds of these people and then what I just said about the charges. Uh, Police don't really have a motive for this thing. Um, Right. Crazy. So the, the shocking killing... Uh, happened at the end of, of 2022. So we're talking December 2022 when a group of hunters came across uh, partial remains of uh, an unidentified woman on the grounds of uh, what's called the Portal Hunting Club in Riceboro, Georgia. Now, Jim, I don't know anything about hunting clubs and how all this works. This These are like uh, member uh grounds that you can hunt on that's right you join these clubs you pay a you know a fee every year an annual fee and you're free to hunt on that land uh typically that fee will go to 
you know, deer feed if it's a deer hunting camp and keeping the grounds cut and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Okay. But it's a usually a huge area, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's much acreage, yeah. typically. So, um, so these hunters who are uh, on those grounds find partial remains. Investigators believe the woman was killed approximately uh, a week or two before those hunters found those parts. Um, and more parts were found scattered all around this hunting club, which, again, mm-hmm. you said covers a, a wide area. They actually say, quote, additional remains were discovered within a three-mile radius on the property of the hunting club. So this JAGCOR guy, educated wife, they're married, they're seemingly happy. I looked at wedding photos of these people. They, I mean, everything looks like life couldn't be better, and he's chopping her into pieces and spreading it around this hunting club. Um on December 13th of 22, law enforcement asked for the public's help in identifying the woman. And with the use of a forensic artist's rendering of her, they asked people to uh, to come forward. The, the rendering is actually pretty amazing given what they had to, uh, to work with. Again, yeah. having looked at the pictures and looking at the actual picture of the woman when she was alive, it's uh, – it, it's pretty darn good. So um, in the meantime, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation uh, reached out to the FBI to help uh, with their uh, genealogy DNA to, to crack the case. The GBI interviewed family members and obtained DNA swabs for comparison to the profile created through the genealogy DNA. The GBI said in its statement, Mindy uh Casotis was identified on May 11th of 2023. So it took until uh, just over a week ago from last December for them to be able to use all that information to identify her by DNA. And so it's unclear why the, the husband, Nicholas, was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania at the time of his arrest, but authorities said the couple had been living in Savannah, Georgia at the time of her death. Nicholas Casotis has a Bachelor of Arts from Boston University, a Juris Doctor degree from Northeastern University School of Law, and was in the middle of pursuing a Master of Laws in National Security Law from Georgetown. Um, I mean, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars in education um, for a guy who allegedly chopped up his wife and spread her around a, uh, a hunting uh, club. So yeah. uh, as authorities continue to investigate, Mindy was actually from Louisiana. Mm. Although as I looked, I kept looking, I couldn't find a, a hometown for her. Somebody who's listening probably is from Mindy's hometown. Let us know where that is. They did have a couple of people that went to high school with her, offer some uh, uh, some quotes about, uh, you know, about her and how terrific she was. And she they said sounds the name like, of the high school. No, that's what I'm saying. Is yeah. it, is it uh, they they've talked about uh, people that went to school with her, but didn't ever say in any of the articles that I was able to uh, to access or the video stories where exactly in 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 uh, Louisiana she grew up. But she moved at a fairly young age. She didn't go to yeah. high school here, so uh, don't know. But uh, but anyway, this is a bizarre case. We'll see where it goes from here. Why this guy with seemingly everything going for him and a couple that seemed to be happy 
how it could possibly end the way that it ended. Uh, we'll see what we what we learn. All right, a Utah man uh, calls police, y'all, to tell them that he's killed his wife and in-laws in Salt Lake City. So the Utah man is in jail after confessing to kill his wife, his mother-in-law, and his father-in-law. The 34-year-old Jeremy Bailey called the police department dispatch on Friday at 9.45 a.m. to confess all three murders and remained on the phone until police arrived at his home. Bailey was then instructed to leave the home before being taken into custody, and police found three victims at the scene, his wife, his mother-in-law, and his father-in-law. Three of the four dogs that they had in the house were also killed. Uh, Jeremy Bailey and his wife, Anastasia, lived at the resident where the incident occurred, and Becky Stevens and Donald Stevens, who were Nevada residents, were visiting at that address. Police reported that a modem has not yet been determined and that the cause of death is being investigated. Bailey reportedly told authorities he had been thinking of doing this for several days after calling the police and claiming there will be a murder slash suicide. He allegedly told authorities the victims had been dead 20 minutes prior to the call. He wrote the following, y'all get this, the following on his Facebook page. Massacre, suicide. Jeremy Bailey just killed everyone. Becky Stevens, Don Stevens, and three of the four dogs, and then he lists the address. A victim told their therapist earlier in the day that they may have a very real problem, and it may be time for legal interference after they uncovered something. So one of the victims actually kind of felt like something good is not going to happen today. Bailey claimed he was thinking of doing this for several days and admitted to storing guns in a friend's garage. Now, Bailey was booked and charged with aggravated murder, discharge of a firearm, and cruelty to animals. Okay, so they don't know. There's uh, there's no known motive. There's just an understanding that uh, that he was troubled in some way and that at least one of the three of them were, were afraid. Yes. And, and they apparently had found out some information on this, on this guy, uh, according to a therapist that had seen one of the victims just that very day. And the victim mentioned, you know, that they had uncovered something. So maybe he was molesting kids or, you know, we're just spitballing, but he was doing something very bad. One of them found out and he decided to kill everybody. Well, Either there's one really, really smart dog in that house who figured out where to freaking hide so the guy couldn't find him, yeah. or in that black heart, there's there's a tiny little bit of room for one dog he had some affection for because he killed everything except the one dog. So I would say if you're uh, in the market for a uh, mixed breed uh, uh, with a case of PTSD, uh, you uh, you should look at the Salt Lake City Dog Adoption Services. Um, that is freaking crazy. Indeed. We've had a lot of Utah crazy lately. What's going on in Utah? I think we got crazy everywhere. <laughs> it seems like Florida we get a lot, too. And, you know, Louisiana's got their share, so... It's uh, it's uh, it's spread far and wide. It has. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to talk about a different kind of crime. Okay. A fun crime. 
Okay. We'll talk about stealing. And in this case, someone who stole the show. Mm. And this was over the weekend. Uh, we've talked a little bit at times about golf. And Jim, I believe you're casual player. I am. Woody says the same. I'm a hacker as they're, as okay. they're known. Do you watch golf at all? I do. Okay. I love golf. I'm just not very good at it. Tiffany, you ever play? I'm not very good at it, but I love watching golf. But you watch it too. So did you y'all watch the PGA this weekend? I watched a little bit of it. Okay. Well, uh, the PGA is one of the major tournaments in golf. There are four uh, major tournaments, so the the biggest tournaments in the of the year in golf, and the, the the PGA is one of them. And what's unique about the PGA is that golf pros, if you are a pro at a country club or you're a pro at a municipal course, you are a member of the PGA. And there's a system for qualifying for you to be able to actually uh, uh, be able to play and compete in a PGA uh, uh, tournament. And this past weekend, there was a, a pro out of uh, Orange County, California, from a, a semi-private uh golf course down there who qualified and then played very, very well in the first couple of rounds. And all of a sudden the guy was on the leaderboard in the top 10, top 15. And when something like that happens, you're such a tremendous underdog that the crowd really gets behind you. So the entire crowd at the Oak Hill Club in uh, Rochester, New York, got behind this club pro who was playing and playing better than people like Jordan Spieth and some of the biggest names in golf. And his name was on the, the leaderboard throughout most of the weekend. And then on Sunday, uh, something happened that was just unbelievable. So this... Uh, uh, this guy was not playing that well on Sunday. He'd lost a couple of uh, strokes to par, but the crowd was still very much behind him. And he came up to the tee box on uh, on the 15th hole. I believe it was the 15th hole, yes. Um, and uh, uh, he needed to finish in the top 15 in order to qualify and get an exemption to next year's tournament and also exemptions to... Uh, some other tournaments, but he was running out of holes. Uh, he needed to make a number of birdies to be able to get into the top 15. And he made a hole in one on the 15th hole. That was one of the most amazing things to watch. It was a blind shot to him, so he couldn't see it. He knew it was on target, could see that it was going toward the hole, was going to be close, but he didn't know. His playing partner was Rory McIlroy, who was one of the greatest players in the world. And Rory McIlroy immediately turned around and hugged him. And he still didn't realize what had happened until he took a few more steps down. And the entire crowd around the 15th let out roars that could be heard all over the, uh, uh, the golf course. And this guy literally stole the show. Uh, uh, Brooks Kepka uh, eventually won the tournament, his, his fifth major tournament and a very big win for him. But the biggest news was not Kepka winning the tournament. It was the guy who stole the show, whose name is Mike Block, who is a club pro uh, from Southern California and is now uh, with 
because of that hole in one and because of a uh, uh, par save that he had on the 18th hole, he managed to finish 15th and uh, and qualified for next year's PGA and has already been given several exemptions from PGA to play in tournaments over the next few weeks. And best of all, if you're a club pro in Southern California at a semi-private club, you'd probably do okay, but he made $288,000 for his mm. trouble over the weekend and stands now to make some money over the next couple of weeks. And so it's, uh, that's my kind of, uh, of thievery. Um, so <laughs> Mike Block stole the show at the PGA. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off. My rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. All right. On to our next crime. Uh, armed Texas homeowners have stopped a suspected burglar and leave him wounded in the bathroom. In Texas, an armed homeowner shot and wounded a suspected burglar who broke into the home in the middle of the night. The Beaumont Police Department responded to a report of a Burglary in progress just after midnight on Friday on the way to the home. Dispatch told the officers that the homeowner had shot the suspect who was located in the home. The officers arrived. They found the suspect identified as 43-year-old Jason Cruz on the floor. Uh, He was in a large pool of blood. The police officer provided aid to the shot man by using a tourniquet to stem the bleeding which they say was instrumental in uh, saving the suspect's life. The suspect was taken to the hospital, expected to survive, and a warrant was issued for Cruz's arrest, with ex- police explaining uh, he will be taken to local jail once he's released from the hospital. Now, a police spokesperson said the homeowner will not face charges and was acting within his rights when the shooting occurred. Uh, even though they are the ones who shot the suspect, they are still the victim. The suspect is the one who broke the law and committed the crime. This via the police spokesman. So only in Texas uh, do they not give you any crap when you shoot someone trying to break in your house. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Shout out to Beaumont. All right. Now we're going to bring you to Illinois. A man strangled a teen to death. And the way he was able to do it is going to blow y'all's mind. So in Illinois, a man killed a 17-year-old girl after luring her to his home by telling her he had Disney cups she could buy from him. And he has been sentenced to 50 years in prison. Uh, Iraq County Circuit Court Judge Michael Sabal sentenced Arthur Jensen, who was 53 to five decades in prison, for the murder of Adara Bun on August 5th of 2019. Jurors found him guilty on two counts of first-degree murder uh, for strangling the teenager when she came to his home. So let me tell you the story real quick on this. Bun and her mother went to a garage sale at Jensen's house, and they were collectors of Disney memorabilia. So she bought some Pocahontas cups. 
She uh, came back to the Jensen residence that Sunday wanting to talk to Jensen's wife to see if she had any more of this Disney memorabilia that she could buy. Jensen's wife, unfortunately, was out of town at her high school reunion, and Jensen and a friend were packing up leftover garage sale items uh, when Jensen told Bun to come back later to purchase the Pocahontas Cups. The husband, that is. So when Bum returned to Jensen's house to buy the cups, he killed her. The The crime came to light when neighbors heard screams coming from Jensen's house. Uh, they called police. When the police arrived, Jensen told him there's a girl inside, and I strangled her. Police found Bun's lifeless body inside the house, and officers arrested him, obviously, on the spot. Uh, this was a young girl about to enter her junior year in a couple of weeks, uh, and she was a straight-A student who was hoping to come up to become a veterinarian. Just a horrible, horrible situation, but uh, they have finally sentenced this man to 50 years in prison for that crime and killing of a 17-year-old. God, that took forever, huh? It happened in 2019. It took him until now to... Yeah, it's ridiculous. It took that long when he admitted to the crime, even. You know? Crazy. Well, um, I need some banjos. The banjo beat seems a little bit too enthusiastic for this version of Dumb Criminals because this one is dumb, but it's also really freaking violent. A Florida sheriff's office arrested a blood-soaked man after he allegedly beat his grandmother to death with a hammer and severely injured his grandfather. What makes this guy so dumb beyond using a hammer to kill his grandmother is uh, they caught the guy because he asked his housekeeper to clean up the bloody crime scene. Anthony Michael Corrado of Naples, Florida, was charged with second-degree murder and aggravated battery on a person over the age of 65 after he went to his grandparents' home and violently beat them with a hammer. Collier County Sheriff's Office shared that Corrado's parent grandparents had an active order for protection against their grandson but did not explain the circumstances surrounding the restraining order. Police said that on Wednesday, May 17th, Corrado called a housekeeper to help him clean up a home. When she arrived, she was greeted by a bloodstained Corrado. The unidentified housekeeper told police that the 34-year-old led her to a bedroom where the elderly victim was located, dead. The quick-thinking housekeeper, and man, can you imagine being in that position? The, the, the quick-thinking housekeeper came up with a plan to escape. She told uh, Corrado that she needed to get some cleaning supplies out of her car, and somehow he thought that was a good idea and let her go outside to the car. Once she got outside, she took off, and she drove just a little bit down the road and uh, was able to flag down a deputy, and the deputies immediately responded to the home where they located the body of the elderly woman and the injured uh, grandfather, uh, Corrado's grandfather was wrapped in a blanket in uh, uh, suffering from uh, severe head injuries, but it looked like he was going to live after he was uh, 
uh, choppered to a nearby trauma center. Corrado is uh, going to be going away for a long time. According to Sheriff Kevin Rambosk, this individual is in our custody thanks to the swift response by deputies and the quick-thinking reporter who was able to get herself out of the residence and alert law enforcement. Uh, yes, you are a quick-thinking uh, housekeeper, and Corrado, you are a sick and stupid, dumb criminal. Banjo. Definitely a dumb criminal. And a brutal dumb criminal at that. We're going to bring you to uh, kind of a new segment we're going to be attacking here, and that is uh, our Mile High Crime segment. This was a uh, something Woody thought would be a good idea. Talk about airline crime. So we're going to give you one today. A New Jersey woman has described the shocking airport mistake that saw her flown from Philadelphia to Jamaica instead of Jacksonville, Florida. So Beverly Ellis said that she was directed to the wrong plane and didn't have her passport. Ellis, who travels between her home state of Pennsylvania and her second home in Florida, was taking a regular flight with Frontier Airlines to go for a break in the Sunshine State, as we all like to do. Everything was going smoothly until she needed to go to the restroom shortly before the flight was due to take off. She was told by the agent, you got about 20 minutes before we take off. When she returned, the flight appeared to have almost been completely boarded, and she was hurried aboard the plane after the agent checked her boarding pass. In the confusion, Ellis had also cut her hand when she loaded luggage. Once aboard the plane, a flight attendant tended to her wound and said she'd be able to relax when the plane landed in Jamaica. Ellis kind of laughed at that. She said, I would love to be going there, but I have a beach where I live. She said, look at me, this being the flight attendant. This plane is going to Jamaica. And Ellis knew by the look on that face that that flight attendant wasn't joking. Apparently, in the stress of her injury and having to swiftly board her on the flight, Ellis was not informed that her flight to Jacksonville had changed gates. The attendant told Ellis, you've entered the wrong plane, so you're going to be entering a different country without a passport. That's bad. Luckily, Jamaican authorities allowed Ellis to remain in the jetway, the bridge between the plane and the airport, for those of you who may not know what that is, uh, because technically that means she hadn't left American soil, which she would not have the need for a passport in that case. She was then put on the next flight back to Philadelphia, but that was several days later. Frontier Airlines told the news outlet that they had refunded her original ticket and given her a $600 voucher as a gesture of goodwill. Frontier Airlines said in a statement, we extend our utmost apologies to Beverly Ellis for this unfortunate experience and sincerely regret that Miss Ellis was able, uh, unable to board the correct flight. Mm, so there you go. No, 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 no. <laughs> No, 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 no. That sounds like some bullshit, don't it? Um, no, that that is That's insane. Uh, that is, uh, if this woman accepted that from Frontier, she's an idiot. Um, I can't believe that close to her departure time, they would pull a gate change on her. I mean, yeah, that's crazy. Really late, but 
the onus is on Frontier to check a ticket, and, uh, and it is clearly marked on the uh, on the ticket where uh, the person is going. And it must have been that way because if this was being done through some kind of e-ticket and she was just throwing her iPhone up there, it wouldn't have accepted it. So she wouldn't have been able to get on right. that way. So she must have had a paper, paper ticket, ticket. Yeah. which means somebody stood there, looked at the paper ticket, and mm. went, uh, yeah, fine. Oh, they're so, in a hurry. Yeah. So it was uh, incompetence on the part of Frontier that got her to uh, to Jamaica. I can't believe they couldn't have figured out some way with, I don't know what we would have in, in we must have a consulate in Jamaica or something, to, some way to get a passport or a copy of her passport to an embassy there and get for her to, did you say she stayed on the jet bridge for 72 hours? No, they wouldn't let her. Yeah, that's what it said. She stayed on the, she stayed the, on jet the plane. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, I mean, she, they may have let her kind of sit in a seat right in front of the jetway and just they're not reporting that yeah, she needs, because technically she was supposed to have a passport. I'm sure they did. She but, needs to be lawyering up and yeah. uh, going after them for. Yeah, um, I want a lifetime. Some, some really free flights over that. I mean, I got pissed off when I was delayed three hours. I couldn't imagine going to the wrong country. No, 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 no. She's, Jamaica mon. Uh and that's the worst part. She had to go back to. Didn't they fly her back to Philly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the ultimate insult after to, all of that. Right? Yeah, so you stay on this jet bridge in Jamaica, and in three days we'll fly you back to Philadelphia. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, Pete Rose. That is horrible. <laughs> yeah. What it are we is. calling that segment? Uh, that's called Mile, uh, high, mile crimes. high Crimes. Yeah, and right. that was a crime by the airline itself. That was a major Mile High Crime. That's right. A uh, Michigan man is wanted in connection with an alleged dog fighting ring after deputies found eight dogs chained in a yard and six others starved to death and left to rot. This is according to authorities on Friday. Casey Autry Kidd, age 29, has a felony arrest warrant for abandoning animals, according to Genesee County Sheriff Christopher Swanson. We believe that these dogs were used in a potential dog fighting ring, Swanson said. The sheriff said some dogs had multiple stages of scarring and injuries that are indicative of dog fighting. The dogs were found chained with one restraint so tightly that it could not move, according to the sheriff. We got a picture of uh, of a few of these dogs and how they were being uh, maintained. And I mean, it's just brutal. Um Two of the dogs found alive actually were chipped, and officials worked uh, to reunite uh, those dogs as well as six others. So eight dogs were relocated to their original owner. So not only is this guy uh, using uh, dogs in a dog fighting ring, he's stealing the dogs first and then using them. One of the chipped dogs, a, a Boston Terrier, a Boston Terrier. I didn't even think that that was a breed you could do anything like that with a Boston Terrier was reunited with its owner uh, last week. The sheriff's office shared video of the second Chip Dogs reunion with her family on Friday. And so, yes, we have some uh, some happy reunions, but mostly we have abused and dead animals. Believe it or not, this kid guy is not yet in custody. So he's still at large, and the sheriff asked the public to exercise caution. Um, they don't want anybody to put themselves at risk, but call 911 
if you see this man, you suck, dude. A former Florida Dollar General state worker has been sentenced to four years in state prison for spiking his colleague's Pepsi with bleach. Now, he says he did so because he claimed the victim was brushing up against him. Jerome Ellis was sentenced for poisoning of food or water. He pleaded no contest to the felony charge last month. The janitor, who worked at a Dollar General, was originally arrested in October of 2022 on two counts of poisoning with intent to kill, injure, and tamper with evidence. Sheriff's deputies responded to the Dollar General for a report of possible poisoning. A worker there told the cops that he and Ellis had gotten into an argument the day before, and he believed Ellis had a grudge against him. The complaint said he left an open Pepsi can on the counter in the bathroom, and when he returned and took a sip, he noticed the soda tasted and smelled like bleach. The worker told the deputies he panicked and called 911 and told his manager about what happened and secured the soda can back in the room. When the victim reviewed the surveillance video from the store, he claimed it showed Ellis pouring the bleach into his Pepsi. Ruh-roh. I don't like the taste of Pepsi, but I think I'd like it a lot less with bleach right. in it. Right. Well, during an interview, Ellis denied arguing with his co-worker and claimed to have spilled some cleaning solution on the counter. When deputies reviewed the surveillance footage, they say it showed Ellis pouring bleach in the vicinity of his co-worker's Pepsi can, then wiping it with a paper towel. Jerome went back a few minutes later and leans over the can, appearing to spit into it. Jerome once again proceeded to grab the can and wipe it down one more time. After deputies told Ellis about the video and urged him to be honest with them, the 49-year-old admitted to putting some of the bleach around the rim of the can to get back at his colleague for being difficult to work with. Ellis complained that his co-worker had been brushing up against him in the store aisle. The victim who drank the tainted Pepsi refused medical attention. So he wasn't looking to kill the guy. He was. It was almost like he was... Looking to play a, a non-funny practical joke on him, kind of like a joke within himself. Uh, but he got four years for it. Two strike, Mike? What you think? Well, look, I, I until the end where I learned that he that the guy had bumped into him in an I mean, you don't bump into people in an aisle. I mean, if you do that in a store like that. You're and getting some it's, bleach down the It's throat? on you, man. You, <laughs> it's on you. So I'm surprised that he only did a little bit of bleach. I mean, yeah. you don't you don't bump into nothing yeah. sets me off like getting bumped into on an aisle. <laughs> well, there you go. Don't bump into Mike at the Dollar G. He bleached for sure. It. And how could he not know there was a camera? Uh, I I know it, <laughs> but you know they don't think that far ahead. Some My people might. God. I'm Jim Chapman. <laughs> I'm Mike Agavino. Your host of Real Life, Real Crime Daily. Give me a piece, Tiff. Peace. Show business. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.